Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Massive Attack podcast. I'm Joe, as always, and again with me tonight is Mitch. As as always. <laughs> you just gave me a sweaty balls flashback there. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to TV. Uh, yes, we'll do our usual and we'll jump straight into gaming. I haven't been playing a lot this month, and when I say that, I haven't been playing a lot of real gaming. I've been doing a lot of iOS gaming. Yeah. And you'll be happy to know that I have almost weaned myself off Supercard. Excellent. However, mm-hmm. I have now got a new addiction, which is SimCity Build It on the iPad. And I think I'm probably more addicted than that than I was to Supercard. Oh, wow. I've always been a big fan of the SimCity city building games. do anything. You build cities. So and then you make stuff in your factories that you need to upgrade your buildings once you've built them. And... I've now got to the level where I can make cheese, and sometimes you need cheese to upgrade a building. <laughs> and my wife and I sit there because she's playing it too, and we look at it and go, "Oh, look, this building needs cheese to do an upgrade." And then we have these conversations about what you would do with cheese to uh, upgrade a building. But anyway, we've been playing it now for about a week, and I'm very much addicted. I'm getting to the point where I'm waking up first thing in the morning and checking how my buildings are going, and setting things to like build in my factories before I go to work, and then coming home from work and jumping straight on the iPad and going, "Yep." They've built, now I can upgrade. Uh-huh. And my four-year-old was playing with blocks the other day, and he built a little city made of blocks in the lounge room. And then he turned around and told us what he needed to do the upgrades of his building. So yeah, he's geez. addicted too. I don't think he knew about cheese, because that's only a, a recent addiction. <laughs> and a recent addition to the uh, the upgrades. But I think addiction is right. I think it is too. But if you've ever played a SimCity game, which I'm not really sure if that's your nope. side of thing. Nope. They were very popular quite a while ago. I remember playing SimCity way, way, way back in the day. On your 286. Possibly. I don't know. I, I can remember playing it on the Super Nintendo at one stage, but that wasn't quite as good. But it was always one of those PC games that I kind of got into and I realised that it's not really a game. It's more of a, a time sink or, or of anything really. And yeah, you just build your city and then you micromanage the city with police and fire departments and health and oh, water and sewage and cheese and, and stuff. And, and the good thing with this is it is linked in with Facebook, but it's not totally spamming Facebook, but you can go to your friends on Facebook's page and see what they're selling in their shop. give me cheese? You can. So if you don't want to wait the you know two hours or whatever to make some cheese, you can go and buy some cheese off one of your friends. Or you can sell your cheese to your friends. <laughs> or other things. Cheese. Yes, you can cut the cheese. Uh, I recently just got myself a donut shop, and you can sell donuts for 950 simoleons each time you, you have one, which is quite good. So yes, you get about 1,000 for upgrading a building, but you get 950 for a donut, so... <laughs> go for it let's just go nuts build some donuts but yeah so i've been giving a lot of time to that i'm probably not selling this game the way it needs to be sold it is very addictive it's fun to play if you're into that kind of thing it's a resource management game yeah oh exactly yeah exactly a resource management game like you have your your factories that build your primary stuff so you have metal wood glass that sort of stuff and then you have your secondary buildings that build additional you've got plenty of wood for this <laughs> yeah i do and like you have a, a a building supply shop that sells hammers so you'll need one piece of metal and one piece of wood to make a hammer so you have to build adequate amounts of the raw materials to then be able to turn them into other things like for cheese you need to go through a three-stage project uh, process where you have to build animal food which takes like six hours and then once you've got your animal food you turn it into milk and then your milk you can turn into cheese so it is all about having the right amount of the ingredients to be able to make the next thing to be able to use that to either sell in your shop to make money to buy your resources like your police and your fire and all that sort of stuff or to upgrade your buildings so yes it's like having a job on yeah the it sounds like work 
it is kind of like work. And as I said, I'm finding myself looking at it regularly. Like I wake up in the morning when my alarm goes off and there'll be time to go to work and I'll be like, all right, I've got a couple of minutes. Let's just quickly check my city before I get up, which is kind of sad. <laughs> anyway, mm. other than that, I have played a little bit of Xbox. You talked uh, a few months back about playing the Flashback reboot. Mm-hmm. I've now played probably about three hours of that. I'm into about halfway through the second world area. Halfway there, I reckon. Probably? I don't know. I like the original bit when you're running around in the trees and stuff, because that was the bit I remember from the original flashback. I never got really far in flashback, so I don't really understand or don't really remember the running around the city part. Yeah, because I remember we used to hire games for like a week or (laughs) over three days or something. And yeah, I I did the start a few times, because it's a game I kept borrowing, but I kept having to restart. Started, so I played that early bit often, yeah. and I don't think I got very far. Yeah, I, I remember you were saying that you can actually go back and play the original 90s version mm. in there as well, so maybe I should do that. Maybe I'll enjoy that. Well, at the opening screen, at the menu screen, you can walk around, and there's an arcade machine. Okay. You click on that, and that's where it is. That's kind of like in one of the Tony Hawk games. You could go back and play an arcade, and it was like going back to the original good Tony Hawk games where they weren't open world. They were just a, an arena where you could do tricks, and you can go on the machines and do those. And I spent a lot more time in the machines playing them than I did in the open world parts. Project Gotham Racing, didn't that have a Galaga or something? Uh, Am I making that up? No, the first uh, Project Gotham 3, I think, had Geometry Wars. Yeah. And that was like the, the original Geometry Wars, and then they realised that that was actually a good enough standalone game to sell on it. Oh, is that how it started? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was just like a little inbuilt thing in that, I think. I, I could be talking out of my ass. I don't yeah. know. It works for me. Put on well, it, it, works, real. it works for our podcast, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. But, yeah, that that's my solo gaming. We did have a little bit of a, a try to do some online gaming just we recently. Did. We haven't really online gamed for... A very long time. Quite a while, not since we had a, a good hit at Borderlands. But we both have Call of Juarez... Juarez. Which one is it? The Cartel? Yeah. Something we've got? Difference. We tried to play a bit of that online, but after sitting there and updating and carrying on and trying to get into About it... About 45 minutes of chatting saying, this isn't going to work. Yeah, it's going to work soon. It's going to work soon. But then we couldn't get into it. So we couldn't work out how to start a game as mm-hmm. multiplayer. I think if you have a campaign, you can bring someone else in, but neither of us have actually played it yet. So we ended up giving up and playing a bit of the club. Yeah, talking about good old games. $3. I don't know if we talked about it on this before i think that was before we actually started the podcast that we bought the club yeah this was um back in the day when we were buying cheap games because that's all we did we did nothing new um there were sales going on at like jb i think it was and it was three dollars i think i picked it up and there was a couple there so i was like here you go i'm buying you a game let's check it out and it's basically a tournament shooter i suppose you'd call it there's no real storyline to any of it you just choose a character and you get a map and you run around and you um shoot each other and the person who shoots the most gets the most points at the end of the timer wins yeah i think in the sole uh, single player you have to get from the start of the map to the end of the map in a certain amount of time and yep. there's like bonuses for getting a, you know headshots and more points yeah, and get stuff. more time yeah. yeah um yeah so it's a game that w- it, it, it was cheap for a reason no one really bought into it or liked it yet we found it and thought this is fun why isn't it more popular and i guess it was up against call of duty and i get i've never gone online and played that tournament side of call of duty yeah where they're probably better games for that probably where this is competing with those sort of people well the graphics are good enough i'm sure it's the unreal engine isn't it i think so it looks it but it's third person shooter Hmm. quite good mechanics good range of weaponry and it's just a, a fun game to 
jump on and, and shoot people. It'd be, it would be really better if you could have bots, because it is a bit sad running around these massive maps when there's only two of you. Sort of funny, so you respawn, so where are you? I'm over here. Yeah, I'm <laughs> complete other end. And then you get shot straight away, and then you've yeah. got to wait to find each other for another two minutes. But yeah, it, it was fun, and it was good to go back and play a little bit more of it. Mm. It, it kind of made me want to go back and play Stranglehold again, which we picked up at the same time, the John Woo game, but... You actually kicked my ass when we tried to play Stranglehold online, and <laughs> there was that other time we played Stranglehold online, and then there was someone else from the other side of the world was actually on the server where we played, and it's like, my God, there's other people out there <laughs> playing this game. But yeah, anyway, that, that's my gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I have picked up a couple of titles this month, and I did pick up Bioshock Infinite because it was the freebie for last month, but I haven't started playing that yet. But the they've announced now that there's going to be four titles. They've announced now that there's going to be four titles on Xbox 360 as part of their games for four. gold. So the first two for this month are Gears of War Judgment, which you already have, which is a bit of a shame, and Terraria, which is kind of a 2D, 2D Minecraft. Minecraft. Yeah. So I set the downloads up for those today. I had to delete a couple of things off the hard drive, so I had some room for them. But I think they're saying later in the month we're now getting... I think it's an Assassin's Creed and something else. But yeah, four games for the month. So And at the moment, if depending when this goes up, we've probably missed it. There's um a Fast and the Furious special edition of Forza Two, which is free, but it's only for the next week, so going from time recording you'll probably miss it. I think the tenth of April it ends. Probably so by the time this goes up. Stiff. Yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> ten bucks after that. Oh. Okay. Is that a full game? It's a standalone game with a Forza engine. It's two point two gig download. Okay. I, I think I set that up to download. I haven't actually checked to see if it has worked. So, yeah, I'll probably give that a go because you bought me Forza for Christmas, but I haven't That's actually... Forza 1. Yeah. Oh, is it? No, okay. Yeah. I haven't actually got it out I'm of its cheap. packet, so... Yes. All right. Well, what have you been playing, Mitch? I know last time we talked, you were talking about Far Cry 4. And that's all I'm going to talk about again. Okay. Because that's all I've done. I think I was about 54%, if I remember rightly, last time. And I'm at 82% with 52 hours of gameplay. That's crazy, isn't it? No, no, it's awesome. Is it? No, no. It's weird. I don't remember. It's like I've got a young son now who's 12 months old. I don't remember life before him. Like, I, I just know that there's this dependent little body that hangs around that I just can't go and leave him when I, I get hungry or something. Yeah. I can't remember life before Far Cry 4. Okay. I can't remember all the games. But yeah, it's, it's more of the same. I'm plodding along. I think I'm getting somewhere and I'm getting better at it. I've unlocked nearly every gun and I, I think I'm settled with my guns now. I've got this kick-ass machine gun that just mows people down in heavy armor i've got my rocket launcher which i shoot from gyrocopters it's just like it's just too much fun so um it sounds i will be happy to walk away from it so i'm in the last stretch we are just heading into easter so we've got a few days off the weather's not looking super hot so you know maybe i could get a good chunk out of the way but i just find myself now i game might talk about this now but we've got netflix in Australia now, yep. which I've had for 12 months, but I've got now the app. I couldn't get the app on my phone or my iPad because it was all restricted with the whole America thing. Yeah, so we, we had talked about this probably about this time last year. We actually talked about how you had the IP blocker and yep. that sort of stuff to set up the American Netflix account. So I've been watching Netflix on the PC and the Xbox all fine. I just yep. couldn't get it on my iPad. Okay. And the problem with that is if I'm gaming, it's like, I could watch that. No, I can't because I'm gaming. Because you're gaming, yeah. yeah. So now I've got it on the iPad, it's fine. So I sit there and I watch the iPad while I play Far Cry 4 because it's not like I really need to pay attention to dialogue or anything like that. I'm just shooting people. Exactly. And running around looking for things that are in the map going, oh, I've got to find a rip a poster off a wall here. I can do that. 
So it's helping me with my TV watching now. I'm actually getting through a lot more stuff while I play this game. So is the Australian Netflix as good as the American Netflix? You. No, I didn't think it would be. I, th- I had a horrible feeling it would it's be. It's about a, a quarter, apparently. And, but the, oh, I mean, okay. it will grow. But at the moment, it's a quarter. And with things like Presto and Stan at the moment, they're all taking each other's content. Yep. So it will be limited, but I've still... The iPad and the iPhone are only accessing the Australian stuff, which okay. is fine. There's still plenty of things on there. Yeah. So what I'm watching is good, but I've still got the American one on the Xbox, so okay. I'm, I'm sorted. Do you think, though, that the introduction of Netflix here in Australia will, will make a dent in Foxtel being the cable TV monopoly that it is? People are going to get confused. I think Presto and Stan are going to hurt people, because the problem is... They're pushing it, but they don't explain how it works. No. All they say is bring your own internet supplier. And the problem is, it's like, oh, you can watch all these things. So they don't say, on what? If you've got a smart TV, you might be able to. Okay. But you can watch it on your PC, watch it on your iPads and your iPhones, but not on your Xbox or your PlayStation. No, I haven't noticed any. You need an app. Yeah. And so Netflix have an app. You go and download the app, you can play it on these things. All these smart TVs will get their Netflix app because they're there, they're built, they're done. So that's going to be a problem. So you go and sign up for this stand. It's like, oh, I've got to watch it on my iPad. You don't have the option to watch it on telly. Yeah. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't realise as well is with these streaming services, you're using your data limits on, on your internet. And Australia being the backwards country that we are, not everyone has unlimited data plans. I know I've only got a... I can't even remember how much I've got, but it's not unlimited. And there have been <coughs> stages... <coughs> There has been stages close to the end of the month where I'm actually getting very close to my data limits. And if I go over it, I get like slowed down to dial-up speed. And I can't imagine trying to watch you streaming video with, with, with dial-up speed. Mind you, I have tried the phone, 4G, yeah, and it, I can watch stuff okay. through it. So it does work in that way. It chews it, it up though, doesn't it? Yeah. Although, that being said, I, I do remember that I was trying to download some podcasts using my my limits or my um, my 3G on my phone and it ate it up quite quickly. But then I was watching clips on YouTube and that didn't use all that much at all. So maybe that's what I should do if I run out of a podcast, which doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Anyway. So, yeah, so anyway, um, for my far cry, I add to the experience by catching up on my TV viewing. All right, well, that's, that's probably all I've been doing. a good space to jump into TV because that's okay. normally our next topic. Uh-huh. So, have you been watching anything interesting via Netflix or any other service? Well, via Netflix, I have been watching The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Okay. Which, do you know anything about it? Only what you've told me. Which is everything. Well, exactly. And I was never a huge fan of 30 Rock or anything like that, so I'm not a Tina Fey person. Uh Uh-huh. So it didn't sound appealing to me, but run through the premise and see what the well, listeners have to think. Tina Fey of 30 Rock fame is yep. one of the creators of it. I don't think she's the showrunner hands-on like she was with 30 Rock, but you can definitely tell it, it feels like a... A, um, a Tina Fey joint? Yes. It just feels like 30 Rock. Like okay. the, the tone and the pacing and the, the gist is uh, is very 30 Rock. Okay. What's the actual premise of the show? The premise, Kimmy Schmidt, the titular character, is um, a mole woman. Well, okay. All right. She was... Her and four, three other women were kept in a bunker by a crazy reverend for 15 years, saying okay. that the apocalypse had happened and keeping them under there. They get saved and go on like the TV show, and they called them old women because they were underground for 15 years. Kimmy Schmidt plays a girl who's 30 now, but she was 15 when she went in. 
So she's essentially, I was going to say man-child, but that's not it, woman-child. Okay. She's, they all come out, they do their interviews in New York, and then she's going to go back to Buckfuck, Idaho, wherever she's from. And she's going, no, stuff this. I'm in New York. I'm going to have adventures. I'm going to do this. So it's her with naivety and everything trying to make a go of it in New York. So she goes, she gets a job, she gets an apartment and all this. And it's, it's just that it's a real take on life in New York. So it's a little bit like that Brendan Fraser movie, Blast from the Past? Very much in that that would be a comparison. Okay. But the execution is, is, is so very different. And so who did you say was playing the title role? I didn't. You didn't? Was no. it Tina Fey? No. Okay. No. I didn't, but it's Ellie Kemper is playing Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, okay. I've seen her in something. I can't think what it is off the top of my head, but uh, yeah. looking at that picture there, she does look quite familiar. And it's got uh, Jane, I can always get this wrong, Krakowski, who was from 30 Rock. Like she's in it, and um, Ali McBeal. If you remember the thing, oh, that really? Around. I never, no, I never watched that. Titus Burgess plays Titus Andromedon, who's this very camp gay guy that she ends up moving in with, and Carol Kane, who I not generally find annoying, but um, she's not bad in this. And that's about it as far as names go. I mean, John Hamm's turned up, Tina Fey has turned up. I think Tim Meadows has turned up. So people popping in to it, but not regular characters. But it's a Netflix original, so it's it's an interesting show. And it's pushed the line, I think, sometimes. Like, if that was a network show, would they do that joke? Like, there's a bit where her dad's a copper or a stepdad. And he's off looking for his other daughter in New York. But he's a buckfuck Idaho cop. So he's a bit stupid and naive. And he asks these two guys on the street saying, have you seen this woman? It's like, are you a cop? It's like, no. And he goes, how can I prove that I'm not? It's like, do heroin in front of us. And he goes, okay. And rolls up his sleeve. And it's like, would that happen in, just a throwaway gag like that? Would that happen in the network show? I don't know. But yeah, it's a fun show. I've mainlined it because that's why Netflix works. They just put it all out there. So you just can keep going. It just keeps playing. Like, when one ends, it's like the next one will start in 20 seconds unless you push this button. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, whether the, it is released as a chunk. Because I know when they put House of Cards out, they put the whole season out in one hit. Yep. And I kind of feel that that sort of takes away a little bit from how you would normally watch, especially a drama series, where you don't have cliffhangers. You can just sit there and just watch all but of it in one hit. And I think it loses its impact. It can, but it depends how it's written how it's done. A lot of people mainline, they'll wait for yeah. a DVD box set and then mainline to a DVD box set. So I yeah, guess that's I guess it's the, no different, is it? And that's that's what they're sort of banking on in that way. But I mean, I do like the idea of that must-see TV where you wait a week for the next one and you sort of sit on it for a week and you think about it and maybe rewatch it and go back to the next one. Yeah. Where if you just keep going. But the best thing or as far as if it's a bad show and you're watching through, you get to a bad episode, you can start watching the next one straight away. You don't have to sit on that. That was a really bad episode. Yeah. Uh, so you can just get through it, power it through it that way. So, yeah, so I've been watching that. I've been watching Danger 5, which is an Australian comedy show off the ABC, but I actually watched it on Netflix. Oh, it is on Netflix, but um, <laughs> it's probably on iView as well. But, yeah, Danger 5 is funny. Like, it's season two is available now, so I've only just started watching it. And I have heard a lot of things about it, and I just never seem to have jumped on it. But now I have, it's like, this is actually really, really good. Yeah, I, I have heard people mention it. I haven't watched it myself, but I don't know if it's really my cup of tea. I, I, there's like a lot it. of Australian comedies that I really get. You'd like it. So maybe I should give it a go. Yeah. It's like a, it was made in the 50s or 60s. It's set in a world where World War II is almost still going and Hitler's still going. But it's just strange. Like, you've got this team of swinging 60s 
cool types who are in the army. So you've got two guys, two girls in this Danger 5, and there's a guy with a hawk's head for their, as their leader, sends them off missions, and they've always got to kill Hitler. But they go against dinosaur men, and it's they use models, like little Thunderbirds sort of models for the vehicles or sets and things like that in the background, but they're real actors in between. And the acting's sort of bad, but it's, it's really it's clever. It's bad. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it looks... Like the old footage and all this stuff. It's just really... It's fun. That's all I can okay. say is it's Maybe fun. Maybe I should give it a go. Yeah, just... If you, if you don't like the first episode, you you know. It's it's that. That's the tone and everything. So oh, that'll okay. pretty much tell you if you like it or not. Oh, well, you mentioned starting off a new show, but you've also come to the end of one of your previous favourites. Uh, favourite's <laughs> a strong word, but yes, Glee is dumb. Yes, we talked about how the finale of Glee was... <laughs> Finally, <laughs> we, talked we finally about, got there. <laughs> we yes. did finally got there. We talked about how the finale of Glee was coming up, mm-hmm. and that has now happened. And it was disappointing. That's a shame, isn't it? It was because this this season has been fantastic. Like we've talk, I've talked about in the past, and everything about it was great up until the third last episode was really good, and I think that was. Would have been a good a good finale. It would have been a, would have been a good finale. It would have been a better finale. But yeah, the last two episodes were aired back to back, and the second last episode, or penultimate, basically a recapping of the very first episode with extra scenes in the middle. So I assume that they filmed the whole thing again. But you just sort of got a bit more backstory into it, all the, a lot of the characters as to why they joined Glee on that first episode. So you sort of got that first episode and bits in between or a bit more behind the scenes of that scene. And it's like, yeah, okay, I don't that, care. That's a bit of a cop-out, though, isn't it, to finish the season on a... It was a bit that. So that started. was the second last episode, and then the last episode was the big, where did everyone go? And it sort of went forward, in, it jumped a bit forward in the future towards the end, and you sort of got where everyone got, and I was like... This is poop. So they could have just done that in the end credits and done stills and put little... They could have. You know, and that one such and such went on better. and did this. And yeah, it just was a bit... I don't know. The the tone was so good up to a point and then those last two were just like, oh, I should have been emotional. Like, oh, I'm not, you know, afraid to cry with these sort of things. And not a tear was shed. A shame. Yeah. I'm not a dry seat in the house. <laughs> yes, because I couldn't bother getting out to go to the loo. All right. Well, that is a bit disappointing. We... Also talked last month about the upcoming WrestleMania. Yes. Both of us have yeah. watched WrestleMania. I watched WrestleMania 31, but looking at the running sheet, you watched WrestleMania 29 again. I don't know why you did that. <laughs> because I don't understand Roman numerals. <laughs> Roman numerals are a wank physics. Because <laughs> I don't understand Roman numerals. But anyway, we watched WrestleMania 31. Yep. And on paper, it wasn't a great WrestleMania, and we're probably going to go a little bit spoilers here, so if you haven't watched WrestleMania or yet... Or don't care about wrestling. Or don't care about wrestling, exactly. Uh, we, we won't talk as long as we did last month about WrestleMania, so probably... Because we need the space. I've got more about bees. Yes. Uh, five minutes or so just talking about WrestleMania. On paper, it didn't look like a good WrestleMania. Oh, crap. The build-up was just shitty. However, there was a few bits of WrestleMania that I really enjoyed, and the main event turned out to be a lot better than I expected it to be, because... It wasn't just Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. It was Seth Rollins cashing in his Money in the Bank title and turning it into a three-way. And there was just good psychology. However, that wasn't my highlight of WrestleMania. The no. highlight of WrestleMania for me... It was one move. was one move. The It wasn't even one move, but it was the end sort of sequence to the... Seth Rollins-Randy Seth Orton. Rollins, Randy Orton match where it was like a reversal into the reversals 
sort of he tried for the RKO and then Seth Rollins went for the curb stomp and it was just one of those things where it was just a nice little sequence of moves but the way they pulled off the RKO at the end of the match just blew me away and I have watched that little clip probably about a hundred times since I saw WrestleMania only less than a week ago yes i didn't have the the joy that you did of watching wrestlemania in a group i watched it by myself with my headphones on while my wife was watching tv in the lounge room i was watching wrestlemania on my ipad and i was sort of popping every now and then for little bits and she was like oh something good happened did it and i was like shut up (laughs) sort of thing but yeah i I think it would have been better to watch it amongst friends it was but i probably missed a lot of things that you would have got like heard the commentary for one because it was about 10 of us watching it on a big 106 you know centimeter tally yelling and screaming and being incredibly wrong and on pc so it was a fun day for that reason and the worse it was the more fun it was like that's when we we made our own entertainment as far as that goes but so uh, you would have been having a ball during the sting triple h match well we well that was a bit more disappointing so we're all a bit disappointed as to why is this happening now if you know wrestling you'll understand what we're going to talk about next they did Sting Triple H, the match that's apparently been 14 years in the make that nobody wanted. Yes, no well, one. Sting was probably the only big star when WCW went out of business and WWE or WWF at the time bought them out. Sting was the only star that didn't jump ship and come across. And they made this big storyline about how he's been sort of out in the wrestling wilderness, dwelling on the fact that he didn't sign and he was you know, the white whale that didn't come across. Not mentioning that he'd been in TNA for... 10 of these 14 years held multiple titles while he was there and was pretty much a big star there as well but he's now come back to seek revenge for them closing WCW also it doesn't make sense no that's the thing so you had the corporate version that is Triple H and Sting the vigilante and just, again didn't didn't make sense they had this match with Sledgehammer versus baseball bat and, um, and strangely when you hit a Sledgehammer with a baseball bat it just broke clean in half yeah. no splinters or anything it was it was like it was already cut in half who knows spoilers his magical powers yeah. <coughs> yeah so um the match went as you'd expected it was two old guys who were doing okay and yeah. you sort of like you, you just didn't care oh to get start sorry years ago Triple H fought John Cena at a Wrestlemania yep now John Cena came out in a it was in Chicago I think yes, John Cena came out in like an old 1930s car with all these indie wrestlers in pinstripe suits and CM Tommy Punk was one of them and Tommy Gunn's on the side and they did this whole gangster thing yeah that Al came Capone out. sort of gangster and that was kind of embarrassing but Triple H came out in a giant throne wearing like a Conan crown crown yeah and the music and it just looked pretty damn awesome because yep. it was dark Triple H was at the height of his roids and just massive and it, it suited his look the long hair the size everything yep. it was cool I think they tried to recapture that because Sting came out to a Japanese kabuki drum band because nothing says Sting like Japanese drums I don't know that was just weird yeah I thought that was strange too and and the, it was an outdoor Wrestlemania 2 so no Wrestlemania 2 was the one that was made in three different venues <laughs> it was outdoor Wrestlemania as well and it was daylight Sting. Yep. So everything was hit by bright, bright sun. So you didn't really have an effect that you can do with lighting that they do at, like, the indoor event. Sting comes out to that, which is fine. Then they've done the, some sort of tie with Arnold Schwarzenegger this year. They induct him in the Hall of Fame and everything. And the new Terminator movie's coming out soon with Arnie in it. So he's heavily involved with WrestleMania somehow this time. So 
a bunch of really shitty looking terminated models pop out of the stage for Triple H's entrance. Then he pops out the middle of the stage wearing a sort of a crown skull hybrid with cybernetic bits on his shoulders and it looked shit house. It just looked Rocker Stedford, didn't it? Oh totally. It was shit house. And it was in the bright daylight too. Like if you did it in an indoor arena with the lights off and you lit it properly, it might have looked effective, but God it was embarrassing. Embarrassing. Anyway, so the match played out after the embarrassing entrances, and it's like, I still don't care. Like, this match is nothing. There's no history between these two characters at all, and it doesn't matter. There's no stakes on the line. There's nothing. And then DX's music hits and outruns the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac. And they come in and attack Sting. And it's like, all right, kind of cool. This kind of sort of makes sense because of the whole Monday Night Wars, DX versus everything. And it's like, we all sort of picked it. As soon as it happens, like, if DX come out, you need you need Nash and Hall to come out as yeah, well against um, them. And it was obvious that they were there because Nash had been inducted into the Hall of Fame the night before and they talked about the click and they talked about the NWO and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, out comes Nash bam, 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 and Nash Hall, x pack x pack was with DX, sorry. Uh, Nash Hall and... Hollywood, Hollywood Hogan. Hogan. Yes. Did he have the black stubble? I can't remember if he did or not. Not quite. But he had the black t-shirt. He was playing the guitar. So, yeah, they come out to even the numbers. And, yeah, and that should have been the storyline. Yeah. If anything made sense, that would have been the storyline. The problem is, a lot of old guys in the ring who can hardly walk. Exactly. So it was never going to be a good match. And Sting officially wasn't NWO until they broke off and he was part of the Wolfpack, but they were coming out in their black and white, not their red and black. So that was yeah, a bit wrong as well. Sting should have got Lex Luger to come, Lex Luger to come out. Lugor. <laughs> Lugor. That's a He-Man character, isn't it? Lugor. It must be. Snot. Um, <laughs> was it? Flog. Flog. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, they, they should have got the Wolfpack era NWA to come out, not the originals, but who knows. Yeah. So, I mean, it was fun for nostalgia and the pops for all that would happen. How it actually played out, it was like, but it kind of worked. But in the end, Triple H was in a Scorpion Deathlock, and out of nowhere, Shawn Michaels pops in and super kicks it. Well, you can't have DX without Shawn Michaels, really. No, so that's fine. So Triple H turns around, gets the win with a sneaky, you know, screw job win, and then they're all in the ring facing off each other. Triple H puts his hand out to Sting. Sting shakes his hand. Makes no fucking sense. No, it was it was pretty poor booking. I don't know who'd written this. Probably Triple H. Triple H. Himself. He wins and gets all the. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Like, they've got this feud, but if it, if they did a match to the end and no interference and they shook hands, fine. That, yeah, that exactly. makes sense. But the fact that it's a screw job ending and interference came in, into play doesn't make sense. No. At all. No. And then later on in the show, Triple H came out for another bit where he spoke on the mic and he pretty much trashed, oh, I beat Sting in the ring before and this and that. It's like, well, the handshake is a very strong part of wrestling and it shows respect for your opponent because you've had a good match or they've done really well or you know it's, it's a respectful thing yep. there was no respect in that match no and it, 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 did, it just doesn't make sense no. and yes very angry about that that's my letdown of the mania yeah and I, I must say the we would just finish watching the Raw the night after mania and that's traditionally quite a big night for you know, big things to happen and following on from Brock Lesnar losing his title at Mania we had Brock Lesnar go complete loose cannon and destroy the commentary team which was really good that's good it's probably the, the most I've popped for Brock Lesnar in a long time and no you haven't seen him for six months well that's the thing he's got the contract where he's 
under contract with the WWE, but he only ever wrestles on pay-per-views. You never see him wrestling on TV. And they made a big deal about the fact that he was going to be wrestling on TV tonight. And then it didn't happen and he went crazy, which was good. And definitely highlight of wrestling for for a long, long time was seeing a sign that somehow (laughs) sneaked through the PG era of WWE. When Roman Reigns was walking out, someone just had that split-second timing to hold up a sign in front of him that said, Roman is a wank pheasant. And I went on the internet afterwards to try and find out what the meaning of wank pheasant was. And there are actually people that have made Roman is a wank pheasant t-shirts out already. So by the time this episode goes out, who knows? Wrestling wrestling fans everywhere. And yeah, people will be understanding that meme. But anyway, that was WrestleMania. That's probably more than five minutes of spoilering, but there we go. One other little bit of TV that I will talk about now before we come back to TV later in the episode. I finally got around to watching the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary special, and I know you previously watched this earlier in the year, closer to when it actually aired. I must say I was a little bit disappointed. Which is Saturday Night Live. There's good bits amongst a lot of crap. And I think that was what the problem was. There was an hour, what was it, two hour show? Two hours, yeah. And there was probably only about half a dozen decent laughs in it from the new stuff. Some of the some of the older clips were good, but when they tried to reenact some of the old stuff, it didn't quite have that same sort I mean, of feel. It, it was so in house, like it was so self referential. Yeah, it, it was. But they've done this for 40 years. They get a chance to go and do this. They had a bit of fun with it. I, I think the thing that I laughed probably the most about was when they were going through the In Memoriam and they yeah. had John Lovitz in the Memoriam and then they cut to him in the crowd like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dead. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was good. I, some of the celebrities that they got in that were previously celebrity hosts and there was, I think, John Goodman and someone, Alec Baldwin maybe, Alec were arguing over the fact it. that who's been on the most and, and that sort of stuff and who's a good host and who isn't. Bits of it were fun. I'm, I'm glad I watched it, but it was nothing that I would you know, recommend anyone to. So, yeah. Yeah. That was it. But that's probably a little bit of TV. As I said, we're going to come back to TV at the end of the episode, but we're going to go super spoiler heavy when we talk about that. So we'll, we'll mention that in a moment. As for movies, Mitch, have you had any uh, cinema viewing? I've, I've actually been quite a few times. Okay. Yes. I went and saw Chappie last week. Which is the... Die Antwoord the movie, yeah, pretty much. Is it... Uh, uh, what's his... Neil Blumka? Blam- Blumkamp? Yes. yes. My, my Afrikaans isn't very good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's Robocop meets Short Circuit 2. With Hugh Jackman being incredibly Australian? Very Aussie. Yeah. Almost got a mullet. Really? Getting around in shorts. Like in an office. Like in an office building. He's an engineer ex-soldier person working on a big mech warrior sort of mech thing. And he's up against the other engineers who are making these robots that Chappie is one. They're an AI robot where he's doing a piloted sort of Ed 209 sort of robot. Yeah. And he's getting around. He does wear slacks later on. But it's like, I want him in shorts the whole time. He was so Aussie. But that's the thing with Hugh Jackman. He doesn't get to be an Aussie very often no. in his movies. So it was quite it, funny that he was. And he's walking around, get a holster, gun in a holster, walking around the office <laughs> in shorts. And he's like throwing a foot, uh, rugby ball up. Just carrying a rugby ball around. Yeah. It's like being very Aussie. Okay. Not that I, you know, every Aussie carries a rugby ball. No, some of us carry AFL balls. Not just their own balls. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was fun for what it was. It was well made. It was just weird that it was such a simple plot. Like it was very much a short circuit two like plot, but it had a Robocop esque violence and swearing. Hmm. So if they made it one or the other, if they sort of smartened the plot up a little bit more, not that it was dumb, but it was just a bit kiddy. It could have been better. Or if they toned down the violence and the swearing, it could have opened itself up to a, a bigger audience, like a short circuit two. Yeah. So it just I don't. Just couldn't quite 
sure what it was. But okay. yeah. Well, I was a big fan of District 9. I really enjoyed mm. that when I saw it because it was something completely different. It's so and, well made. Yeah. And I managed to avoid any spoilers for District 9 when I saw it. So when I did see it, it kind of blew me away. I was really unimpressed with Elysium. A lot of people were. Apparently yeah. he is too. Oh, okay. Like he's gone back and he's... He, I, I heard, I don't know how true this is, but he's going to fix it. So he's going to film what, more bits and What he needs to do this. is actually get uh, Jodie Foster to stick to one accent through the whole movie because she swings wildly. She's got a French accent in one scene and then she's got an English accent in another one. Okay. So, can't do accents. But anyway, uh, I would be interested to see Chappie. I don't know if I will rush out and see it at the cinema. No, you can wait. It's not worth it. But the, it is a Die Antwoord movie, which if you don't know who they are, I don't know enough about them, but they are, they're a South African rap group. Yep. A rap act. A two-piece from what I gather. And I think they're a piss take. Well, that's what I wasn't sure of. I've, I've seen one of their videos, and it's very much tongue-in-cheek kind of mm. girl. Like they're, they, they're committed drugs. to characters yeah. in the same way Fly the Concord sort of are. Yeah. But they're extreme characters in the way. You know, they're fully tattooed, they're gangster, they're everything. And they're sort of the anti-hero sort of bad guys in the movie. But all their iconographies in there, their names are their names. Like in the movie are the same names as their characters as Diantwood. Okay. Their t-shirts are wearing their band t-shirts. Their, their, their tagging is all their iconography from the band. So it's just like it's not even trying to be something new. It was just sort of weird. So, admittedly, they're not that big outside of South Africa. I mean, they did just tour here in Australia a month ago for Future Music. So, they are known, but they're not massive. Yeah. Now, it's just sort of like they didn't even try and hide who they were. It's like having Spinal Tap in a movie as their characters and not even changing their names, you know. It's like having them in a film. Well, maybe they've kind of funded the movie as a way of getting them well-known to a bigger audience. I don't know. It, it, it's strange. And, the, and they're fine in it. It's a different character because you could easily have made this movie and set it in Detroit like a Robocop you could have easily set it in a slightly futuristic LA and it wouldn't have shocked anyone because we've all seen future LA or future New York so the fact that it is in set in Johannesburg with African characters it's, it's something different and it's not set that far in the future is it, is it like so 2016 like, or yeah it's ridiculous it's like wow robot technology jumps really quick yeah. but yeah so that's fine that, okay. uh, it's worth seeing don't, don't hurt alright any other cinema two in fact okay well no one sorry one big eyes I went and saw at the cinema which I knew nothing about when you told me this Yes, you still know nothing about it. I still know nothing about it. It's um, Tim Burton's new film. Oh, yes. Which has got Christoph Waltz and... I was going to say Naomi Watts, but it's not Naomi Watts at all. It's Amy Adams. Channeling Kristen Wiig. Really? That's all I kept thinking. I'd pay to see that. (laughs) No, not tunneling. (laughs) Um, I was really looking forward to this because Tim Burton can make a good film. It's just he hasn't for a while. Not since Edward Scissorhands. Pretty much. Yeah, like I love Edward. That's one of my favourite movies. So you're the one. You don't like Edward? No. But then I, I don't really like the fact that they're taking the piss out of something that was just shitty because it was shitty. It's not taking the piss. Isn't it? No. Oh, maybe I just maybe I should go back and rewatch Edward. Oh, I don't it's know. so good. It's paying tribute. Oh, it, it's, okay. it's a love letter to it. Oh, anyway. Enough about Edward. Tell yeah. me about Big So, Eyes. well, speaking of Edward, it's the same writers on this. So I was a bit excited about this because what was the last one he did? Dark Shadows, which was crap. So it's like, this is a smaller picture. It's not a big blockbustery sort of film this is you know Tim Burton doing a little picture with the same writers of Ed Wood so I was like I'm looking forward to this and it's based on a real story in the same way Ed Wood was 
So I was like, okay. And you would have seen it if you saw a picture by this artist called Keen back in the 60s. It's these children with these massive eyes. Okay, yes, I do know a little bit about this. And what happens is this woman was this painter. She ends up, starts off with her leaving her husband with her daughter and she moves to San Francisco in the 60s. Trying to make a name for herself, she gets a job working in a factory and she's selling paintings in a a outdoor market in San Francisco where all these other artists are selling their paintings. And Christoph Waltz plays this very charismatic artist who sort of woos her and ends up, they fall in love and get married. And they're just sort of trying to sell his paintings around. He does these Paris, like, landscapes or whatever. And he's doing okay as a salesman. And she's very timid as a character. And in the end, I mean, he brokers a deal with a nightclub to sort of put his art up in a, in a nightclub. In the, in the nightclub and people come by and they end up finding his wife's pictures and loving him and he just claims that it's his just because it was easier because he was there and they're asking all about it and he just is a very good raconteur he just tells stories so he claimed he painted it and it goes on that well and it ends up becoming a art movement these paintings they become internationally renowned not renowned as far as good art but popular yeah they're selling postcards posters like not just selling the original paintings but reproductions of them and it was it was a huge Huge movement, like even before Warhol did his mass production of his stuff. Yeah, they're kind of sort of sad-looking, big children children. with big eyes. Yeah, and yeah, so she stayed home and painted, and he took all the credit and did all the schmoozing for it. And you know, it took its toll on the relationship and and how that movie played out. So it's an interesting true story, and a lot of it seems to be as true as it could be. I did check the wiki after to say how much was true, how much wasn't. Seems fairly true, but it just seems not as punchy as Edward was. Like there could have been more melodrama in there when was understated in other bits and it was just like it just a bit one notey it just didn't go didn't anywhere work. it just I mean it was good but it wasn't like I want to buy this or own this it's just like okay. oh yeah I've seen it I'm done move on so that that was it yeah alright well speaking of disappointing movies I finally got around to watching The Perfect Storm because I, I know a few people have been talking about back in the day when it was released I think it was 2000 that it came out that everyone was like oh this movie's really good and after watching it I don't know what they're talking about because for me the acting was terrible it was George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg and a few other big name people that I can't remember off the top of my head and yeah it's a story of some fishermen going off trying to get a decent catch and heading into the worst storm possible ever and spoilers they all die (gasps) and it's based on a true story but then you think to yourself well if it's based on a true story and the whole crew of this ship died how do they know what really happened out in the boat yeah I don't know the effects were okay but just the whole premise of George Clooney pushing his crew to go out into this massive swell just so they can get this monster haul of swordfish kind of yeah it didn't work for me well directed by Wolfgang Peterson so he could have looked alright I didn't enjoy that all that much but yeah I didn't like it a movie that I did like and Foxtel the package that I'm on on Foxtel we get two free pay-per-view movies per month but for some reason we hardly ever watch them because we're just slack and we don't but I finally got around to watching one this month and we watched a movie called Pride which I don't know if you know anything about it's brassed off with gays yeah kinda it's set in the Welsh miners strike in the 80s so there's a a little bit of a a twing there for my Welsh heritage (laughs) and a a group of gays in London are realising that they're not getting victimised by the police quite as much because the police are too busy going out and beating up on the miners so they decide that they 
they should make an effort to support the miners and after a few big mining unions knock them back they decide to support one town directly and they find this little mining town coal miners in Wales and they collect some money and they go and give some money and it's just the story of what transpires is it true? it is it's based on a true story I knew it was kind of loosely based on a true story but again reading, reading the wiki afterwards it's pretty much all true you know the names of the people and all that sort of stuff quite a good cast it's Bill Knightley Bill Nighy Bill Nighy is like one of the the main people in the mining town there's a couple of familiar faces in the gay and lesbian group one is the guy that played Moriarty in in Sherlock Mm -hmm. who I mentioned last month on the podcast that was in that date show that I was watching it was just one of those fun English comedies there was a lot of very English humour in it. There's a, a little bit of a lull in the middle. It starts well and it ends well, but it kind of drops off a little in the middle. But if you're a fan of 80s English music, the soundtrack is awesome. Yeah. Even King's Love and Pride got a mention, so that, yeah, that was good. And yeah, it was just a fun film, so I'll, I'll recommend that. And going back to Netflix, we actually watched on Netflix at your place, we finally got around to watching the Harmontown documentary. We did. And my God, is Dan Harmon a bit of an asshole in that movie? Yes. Well, we all sort of knew it was, it's a weird doco because I'm sure we've talked about Harmontown on here before. Oh, we have. It's, it's our favourite podcast, or one of. I obviously went over to America to attend it. Short story Harmon, Dan Harmon, creator of Community and a few other things. Got the sack from his own show, needed somewhere to vent, created Harmontown as a... Well, oh, it started off as a live exactly. show where people just come and he would get drunk and rant at people. And then someone... He played something, I think a Chevy Chase thing, and it got out. Like, someone recorded it on their yeah, phone he, and it I, got out. he had a, a voicemail that Chevy Chase had sent him saying that, you know, he's an, an asshole, asshole and... It, you know, it's good that they kicked you off community. Yeah. So he played it and someone recorded it and it got on the internet and then it got on all the rags in LA. And he goes, well, fuck this. If I'm going to say something, I might as well record, release it myself. Then I've got control. So he started doing it as a podcast, which became quite popular. And he, he was still unemployed at the time. So they go, let's take it on the road. So they did a big road trip taking it around America. And a documentary crew followed them around on, on the trip. So this is the documentary of that trip. Now, they were doing almost daily shows, or every second day at least, during this road trip. Yeah, and releasing the podcasts of the live tour. Mm. And as as it turns and out... And we listened were... to that as it happened. So yep. so we sort of knew when bits were going to happen. Like, there were some points when he was drinking moonshine on stage, and he got very drunk. Very, very drunk. Yeah. And watching the movie, it was obvious... Or it wasn't obvious at the time listening to the podcast, but watching the movie, there was just so much they had to edit out of that podcast <laughs> yeah. before it would be able to go, go out to air. And both of us were kind of waiting for the bit because we knew what uh, listening to the podcast there was a, a big argument that he'd had with his fiance at the time it was fiance girlfriend at that stage oh. but yeah he he had this massive argument where he called his girlfriend the c-word mm. and they made quite a big deal about it on the podcast and we were just like oh when are we going to get to that bit yeah. when are we going to get to that bit sort of thing and in a way the way it was filmed in the documentary it didn't make him out to be as much of an asshole as i thought it would just for that particular bit mm. but then just overall in the movie he just came across as just this sort of narcissistic unlikable which is what he is yeah and he'll admit that and he almost plays up to it and the other thing they do really well in the documentary as well is they have people that were sort of around through his coming up in Hollywood so through Heat Vision and Jack and through the Silverman program with you know talking about how Sarah Sarah Silverman thinks he's a genius but she still fired him anyway because she couldn't work with him and you know his writing partner Rob Schraub Schraub and yeah just some of the stuff that you, you look at and 
going back, it was probably what less than ten years ago. He was clean shaven. He was Skin. relatively slim, and now you look at him now, he's just like this, you know, massive beard and quite overweight. But it was just like his descent into madness almost. Mm. So I mean, it's a strange doco. Like if you can't show it to anyone who doesn't listen to the podcast because it's like I don't care. This yeah. guy's an asshole. Why do we care? And the fact that we listened through that era, we heard it all. So we sort of heard it play out in real time. Where this is a condensed version of it with some behind the scenes bits you never saw. There was no revelation because the good thing of Dan Harmon, as much as he is an asshole. He puts it all out there. Yeah. Like, you know his politics on everything, you know. he He's unashamedly biased towards certain things. He will bring that out. He will tell you. He will not shy away from it. So, there's no secret to the podcast where it's like, oh, my God, I didn't know he was like that. We knew he was a drunk. We knew he was an asshole. We knew he treated his girlfriend bad. Yeah. So it's a weird podcast in that way. Can you recommend it if you know of him? If you've if you've just started listening to the podcast now and you haven't gone back to listen to that, yeah, it'd be something interesting. If you know nothing of Dan Harmon, you're not going to get a lot out of it, I don't think. Yeah, it's weird because if, if you were, say, a community fan and you knew who Dan Harmon was and you watched this and you hadn't seen the podcast, I don't think it would be enough to start listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's and, not, no. And Correct. yeah, like I've watched a little bit of Community, but I've, I know more of Dan through the podcast mm. than through anything else. And again, if you saw this and you didn't know the podcast, there would be no reason to watch, the, uh, to listen to the podcast based on this. It's, yeah, it's just a, a real strange sort it's, of venue. Yeah, because I mean, I think if you were, had a vague notion of him and you watch this, you may not like it, like yeah. him, and you may even not like Community based because of it. You might get put off where in the same way we were fans of ICP I'm sorry I'm outing you here I'm outing myself as well because we they turned up on wrestling once and we found them out and they they were kind of fun and theatrical and all this sort of stuff and the more and more we see of them and their fans the more I'm not a fan like I I think it's more the fans the fans are just rabid mm. and you kind of look at them and think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't want, want to be associated, associated with, with them. And the same with Dan Harmon. If you love Community and you go watch his docker, I was like, I don't know if I want to like this show anymore because the guy who created it is a real asshole. And they, they speak to quite a few of the fans that are at the live shows that he's filming for the podcast. And there's just a lot of tragic hipsters. But, I mean, we have been listening for, what, three years, four years now? Probably since going. the start. And you know he is an asshole, but he's also caring in yeah. a lot of ways. There are no victims. He, he actually wants... He gets people up on stage and he says I don't want to put anyone on the spot only come up if you want to and he is very careful not to pick on people it's not what it's about it's all very inclusive it's all very accepting and he's the first one to put himself out there and embarrass himself so it's not it's not he doesn't hurt people in that way except his girlfriend and it's probably that same thing as you you only hurt the ones you well, love he actually says that himself that he's he has trouble expressing himself to the people he's closest with but yet he can get up in front of a group of strangers and tell them things that are quite intimate for him mm. so yeah so he's a strange character like as a psychological study he's an interesting beast but um, good doco but you sort of need to know a passing resemblance of what it's all about otherwise it it may be a bit too jarring I think I don't know Hmm. All right. Maybe we're too close to it. Maybe we are. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to jump into another doco that we've both watched fairly recently. Before we do, though, we're going to go really spoiler heavy because we're going to be talking about the recent HBO miniseries called The Jinx. Which everybody's talking about. Yes. So the life and death of of Robert Durst, life and deaths of Robert Durst. 
if you don't know anything about Robert Durst, or if you have watched it, you can probably keep listening. If you haven't watched it and you you are keen to watch the Jinx series, I would say don't listen to the next part until you have, because we are going to go quite spoiler. Because it's it's a big case, and it's probably been in the news. You may have a passing knowledge of what's going on, but if you if you don't know much, don't Google it. Don't try and whatever. If you if you're intrigued as to this alleged murderer who's been in the news lately, yep. and you don't want to see how it plays out, because the last episode of this, it's a six-part HBO series. The last episode is quite, not dramatic, but it, it, it's revelatory. Every, exactly. And you, it's great if you don't know. All right, so spoiler warning, you've been warned. If you're keeping going with the, with the listening now, good on you. Let's, let's jump into the jinx. So... A little bit of background information. So Robert Durst is a second generation heir to a millions uh, property development, New York. Property owners in New on Manhattan Island. Yeah. So. so the Durst Corporation owned like just a bucket load of prime real estate and he's worth quite a lot of money. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I knew about Robert Durst going into this. I didn't even know that. All right, so the way the, the miniseries starts, it starts in Galveston, Texas, which is pretty much a very small community, not not a big town. Only famous for one thing. Yes. Well, Glen- two now, but before that it was just Glen Campbell's song, I reckon. Yes. I don't even know if Glen Campbell's from Galveston, no. whether he maybe just you know, passed through and thought it was a good place and wrote the song. So anyway, so it sometimes. it off with Candy Sheriff finding... So he gets a phone call saying, I just found a torso in the water. Yes. And every time they said torso in the doco, Joe would say, torso, and giggle. I'm a torso from the Reality Bites episode of The Simpsons, where Marge becomes a realtor, mm. which was one of my favourite episodes of The Simpsons. And, yeah, every time they mentioned torso, I just could not help thinking this about the torso. And as the show progressed, we kind of sat there thinking that it was unintentional comedy. Yeah. It's like a massive drama about, you know, finding a body on the side of a river, and yet we were finding that we were cracking up quite we were laughing a lot in that first so, yeah so anyway they find this body they find a head separate to the body no they never found the head didn't they no so they did what did they find hands or something with they found hands? every part of the body except well they found the torso first torso. and then they found a bunch of garbage bags and in the garbage bags were all different body parts yeah minus the head all right. So it turns out that it was the the torso and body parts of a guy called Morris Black. And, I mean, they wouldn't have found who it was because there was no head. Yeah. Uh, but in with the garbage bags and the rubbish, there just happened to be a newspaper with the address of the delivery address for the newspaper yeah. to a house. So they went to that address on a whim. Basically, it's all they had. And there was blood, a blood trail going from the front door to the, you know, the footpath. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is it. And they went into the, and they found out it was the house. And they went into the apartments and checked it out. Because it was a, I think there was like like four apartments in this one building kind of thing. And they went into one. It was reasonably clean. They had a look and there was some strike marks on the lino. And they dug it up and there was blood underneath. And they go, oh, there was something definitely here. The person who owns the apartment was this mute young old mute on, woman no. well the person that was renting the apartment yeah renting the apartment sorry so they, they talked to the owner of the building about who the tenant was and they said it was uh, a, yeah a, a mute woman who was quite unattractive <laughs> I think was the way he described her yep with a flat chest a flat chest and unattractive like, woman yeah a flat chested unattractive mute woman but as it turns out, it and they, wasn't. Because they found a, um, a a reminder that some spectacles were ready from an optometrist on the Friday, the following Friday or 
definitely be picked up. The cop sort of found it, goes, well, I'll try. He wouldn't be stupid enough to go and get it, but we'll see. So he just goes to the optometrist and says, you know, here you go. Call me if the guy comes to pick up, the person comes to pick up the glasses, and who knows, but he gets a call from the optometrist going, yep, he's here. And they go and arrest him. And they yep. and answer him. And it turns out that the flat-chested, unattractive, mute woman is actually this multi-millionaire yeah, um, well, real estate mogul who is wearing a wig and pretending to be a woman. Yes. And as it turns out, they arrest this guy not knowing who he is. They find out that, that well, they put him on $200,000 bail for this attempted murder or a suspected murder. And he turns around and says, well, yeah, I can have the money to you tomorrow. And then they're sort of like, well, who have we arrested? And then they do a little bit of digging and they find out that he is Robert Durst, who is being investigated for the disappearance of his wife. Probably ten years early. Twenty. It was nine. This is in two thousand. This yeah. happened. All right. So and eighteen years early. So nineteen eighty-two. That his wife disappeared. And, and yeah. it was quite a high-profile case back then. Apparently, in well, the New York. Well, I, I guess if you are the, the heir to a you know, multi-million-dollar property development, and your wife goes missing, and you're a prime suspect in the disappearance of your wife, it would be a, quite a high-profile mm. case. And as it turns out, it, it's quite a big story. And yeah, they they link this find to the fact that he is Robert Durst, and then there's quite a bit of a buzz about the fact that Robert Durst has been arrested because of because the unsolved case from before. And, yeah, he gets bailed, that's fine, and goes on the run. He does. And as it turns out, there had been a movie that was made, a feature film that was being made called All Good Things With by Ryan a director... Gosling and Reese Which I haven't seen. Directed by uh, Andrew Jarecki. Jarecki. And it's Who the story... Who is rocking the most powerful goatee you will ever see. <laughs> It doesn't look real, though, does no, it? No, it doesn't. It looks like one of those goatees that you would just you know, draw on a photo or something, <laughs> but in real life. But Andrew Jarecki is the director of this feature film, and it's basically the story of the disappearance of Robert Durst's wife, Katie. And Not with nowhere, the same names, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's very obvious that, that it's that story. And just out of nowhere, Robert Durst decides to ring up the distributor company of the movie so he can talk to the director because he decides that he wants to sit down and interview him. He goes, so, I've never talked to the media before. I like the movie. I like what you've done. Maybe I'll tell you. I'll, I'll talk to you. So that's how this documentary came about. But going back to 2000, this happened in 2010. Yep. So going back to 2000 where he was arrested, he posted bail, he absconded. Yep. So he was, he was on the run. He While he's on the run, he shaves his head, he shaves his eyebrows, and, and he's a- on the run for a while. And he ends up going to a supermarket. A supermarket, yeah. And he gets arrested again, not for being Rob Durst, but because he stole a sandwich. Yeah, and, and when they arrested him, they found this guy with two guns in the car, $500 in his pocket, and $38,000 in his car. And he got arrested for stealing a sandwich. Yes. And then they found out who he was by this minute, and they figured out after that. And he, they didn't give him bail again, needless to say. And he ended up going to trial. So we'll, we've probably jumped a little bit there, because the trial episode is episode four of The Jinx. But, but chronologically, that's the way it happens. Exactly. But the way they, they do it, they, they go back in time, and they and they sort of paint it no, they don't have time travel p- capabilities. <laughs> no, no. They're, uh, they're telling it out of order. <laughs> yeah, so they, they go back and they give a bit of a backstory about who Robert Durst is and why he is such an interesting person. I don't yes. want to cast any dispersions on him. You but don't want to cast any asperges on him. Well, he's he's a very strange <laughs> sociopath is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Anyway, but when he was young, he was probably six or seven and he saw his mother commit suicide by jumping off the roof of the building they were living in in New York. According to him, according to his brother no no mm. yes and he has quite a strange relationship with his brother douglas 
well, if you've got AVOs, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> and his brother Douglas actually hired a bodyguard to protect him from his brother Robert for a little while. But yeah, it turns out that his mum died when he was quite young. He kind of had a bit of a freak out at the funeral because his dad was like, you know, your mum's in, in, in the coffin and she's going to a better place. He was seven. Yeah. And he pretty much, the way he puts it, jumped on top of the coffin and tried to get his mum out because he didn't want his mum to go to a better place. Strange. But, mm. but yeah, it, the, the whole, just the idea of him sitting down with Andrew Jarecki doing this one-on-one sort of talking interview he comes across as at first he comes across as like a bit of a victim and it's kind of like you know he's just been in a bad circumstance so we'll jump forward to episode four where he talks about the trial so he gets arrested for the murder and dismemberment of morris black his neighbor it turns out that along the way he's been using Morris's identity, or afterwards he's been using Morris's identity, he's been using other fake identities, and all the while he's kind of been on the run from the original disappearance of his wife. Mm. So he starts talking to Andrew Jarecki about how, you know, why he's done this and how he, w- he went to Galveston because he wanted to just get away. Well, I mean, to go back to another episode, it's it's a very, it's out of order of what... And- Sort of took me a while to piece it all together. He, his wife went missing in 82. 82. One of his good friends, because they talked to the wife's friends and they said, oh, he killed him. Definitely killed yep. her. You know, they have no doubt in the world that he did it. He was a threatening person. He seemed to be a violent person. He did all these sort of things. So they always thought that. And they said, you should talk to, you should have talked to this girl. There was this friend of his that was a one of his best friends who happened to be the daughter of a mob boss yep. back in the day. And she's sort of made a living now as a crime writer, writing true crime, I think, about Vegas days and all this sort of stuff. So she knows where the bodies are buried of people kind of thing. And she was not shy of her dad being a mob boss. You know, she had his, like, um, what do you call it? Yeah, mugshot on the wall, yep. proudly on the wall. Um, yeah, so, and so the what happened to her, she ended up getting executed in L.A in the year 2000. Yep. So her about name six was months before Susan Morris died. Berman, her name was. And a lot of people never stopped chasing Durst for the disappearance of his wife. Yep. And they were threatening to open the case again in early 2000, I think it was. Yeah. And Berman was going to be approached about it. Now, Berman and Durst were still good friends. He used to send her money a lot because yep. obviously he had plenty. And then she ended up being executed in LA. And for no reason, they couldn't figure it out. The LA cops, no idea why. It was after this time that Robert Durst pretended to be a mute Hungarian woman yeah. and was going to Galveston. To get away. A bit sus, but as he puts it, because it's put to him in the interview, saying, why did you do this? And it's like, because they were threatening me. They're hounding me. They've been hounding me for years and they're doing it again. They're opening the case. Then Susan gets murdered. I just want to get away. I don't want to be Robert Durst anymore. So I'm going to buttfuck, you know, Texas and I'm hiding and putting on a wig and I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be Robert Durst anymore. And he's quite convincing. Yeah. You're sort of going, oh, that kind of makes sense. I could sort of get into it. You know, like I said, where I'm trying to tell it more chronologically, where the doco is not. They sort of tell you this bit, and then it's like, oh, we're going to go this bit, and then yeah, because the first episode they sort of talk about the whole Morris Black thing, and then the second episode it's more delving into the childhood of Robert, and then it's the disappearance of his wife. Disappearance. Yep. And third episode's all about his relationship with Susan Berman. Yep. And then the next episode's the court case. So you've got Rob Durst essentially hiding in Galveston. He dismembers the body and throws a torso <laughs> into the ocean. And he's been arrested. Yep. So now the court case. Now, his 
He's got some money. Yes. And you, you see him when he does it. You hear the phone conversation with his wife, his current wife, about lawyers. Now, his current wife seems very savvy. Now, his current wife has never, they've never actually lived together at any point. No. They got married a few years before this point and have never really lived together. No. We don't. They never really explore this in the docker. They just bring it up as sort of a questionable, this is strange, but they don't actually delve into it. Well, if you jump back a little bit, his first wife, Kathy actually moved in with him after they'd only been on two dates mm. and then they got married probably a month after that so he is a charismatic person Robert Durst mm. I, I can see that people would kind of fall under his spell and he has got those weird black eyes so yes. maybe there is something to it but yeah yeah but his his, his wife seemed very savvy because they had the phone conversations from prison yep. so they had access to that and she's saying don't use your brother's lawyer because power of attorney would be signed over he's gonna it's like if they use that lawyer he's gonna say you're insane power of attorney will be signed over from me to your brother and you'll never see your money again yeah they'll basically say that your yeah. brother's trying to get your money off you yeah. do not do not so they go off and get their own lawyers now she suggested one lawyer he suggested another and like the taco commercial why don't we get both and 1.8 million dollars so he gets the two best criminal defense lawyers possible in texas and puts them on these massive retainers to to you know try and get him out of this murder rap and and essentially they do yeah I, I don't really understand how the American legal system works because it's pretty much cut and dried he's killed this dude he's cut up the body and thrown it in a river and yet he claims self-defense in the murder so it goes from being a, a murder trial about whether the jury can prove that he murdered this guy which is pretty obvious to them having to actually disprove that it wasn't self-defense yeah so he claims self-defense like his story was that he walked in and and Morris was drunk and angry and he had a gun and he'd fired and he goes, give me the gun, Morris. They fought. The gun went off and it killed him. He was on the run, not on the run from police or anything, but he was on the run from these charges being brought up again and investigated into him. He didn't need a, you know... He didn't need a body slowing He didn't need a body sort of adding to that situation. He was drunk. He was stoned. He didn't know what to do. He went off and he went and goes, I've got to get rid of the body. That's what his psyche told him to do, I guess. And, you know, he went in Morris's shed and he had some axes and some stuff, but he didn't have a bow saw. So he was compass enough to actually go to the hardware shop to buy a bowsaw and come back and he proceeded to chop up the body because he can't carry the body to the river so he had to chop it up put it in the garbage bag and went to the Galveston Pier or whatever and threw them off and as he puts it, he, he knew that he had to get rid of the body, but he didn't realise that the garbage bags would float once he... He thought they'd sink. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, all the times I've cut up bodies and thrown yeah. them in the river, I would have... So he sort of went back... Thing. Was it the next morning? And they were still just hanging around yeah. and floating. So we actually went back that night and slashed the bags so they would sink. Yeah. And that's when the torso um, floated was discovered and the cops found the rest of the body parts. So the... I mean, this is what $1.8 million of lawyering gets you, is they argued that... Because it was all about murder and dismemberment so they didn't challenge the dismemberment yes he chopped up the body he admitted that but it was all done through self it was after the self-defense so once they did that they pushed it to the jury that this is not about the dismemberment this is about the murder yeah so he was on trial for murder and when 
he claimed it was self-defense. They couldn't prove it was murder, so therefore he pretty much got away with murder. They don't really talk about it much in the documentary itself, but reading the wiki afterwards, he did actually serve, I think, four years in jail for the dismemberment of the corpse. Because, yep. I mean, the, the one thing is they never found the head because his argument was self-defense, but and this is where he's smart, maybe, is that would prove how he was shot if they yeah, found exactly. the head. And the fact there is no head, so they don't know where the bullet wound is as for, to the argument. So, you know, he got away. Yes, he did some time in jail and there's a little bit in the doco about he did okay in jail well they they show him in jail and he's pretty relaxed yeah and he's doing he's okay like you know hanging out with typical jail looking people where robert durst himself is not the sort of person you think would survive well in jail but yeah. i guess if you've got money and you've got connections you've, you're doing okay yeah, you're guess. doing okay so um he did his time in jail and he got out and not really discussed in the doco but reading the wiki he he was pretty much ostracized from his family yep. they sort of paid him out of the trust of the family so he ended up with about 120 million dollars i think yeah i think it's about that i think about essentially that after this is the jail term so we're talking 2004 2006 yep. this all happened so the movie came out around 2010 based on his life so, so this is yep. the chronological of this and then he's gone and approached directly to make this documentary now it's strange strange that he wants to talk finally or whatever and he's he's still claiming it didn't do it because they're asking about his wife going missing and i mean directly to his credit he's asking some pretty hard questions yeah he's doing okay and just said like saying is she dead it's like i don't know i don't think so she just disappeared, disappeared she ran yeah. away i mean and they've they've done a lot of recreations saying that he drove her to because they were separating at the time yeah, so she he was, was living at college the, and she he was driving her back to yeah. the train station so to go back she to was living in the apartment in new york he was living in their upstate shack or not shack but you know yeah, he was running a health food store in sort of country New York. So um, they weren't... Marriage was on the rocks. They were separating anyway. So they are se- living in separate places. They had an argument. He said, oh, yeah, I dropped her at the train station. She went there. I rang her from the train station. Then I had a drink with my neighbour. And it all comes out later on. The neighbour never knew anything about it. There's no proof. The doorman never saw her arrive at the, at the apartment in the city. And... He never made the phone call. And he admits that none of this happened. But he goes, why'd you say you did? It's like, because well, the cops were pounding me and this and that. I just wanted it to go away. Yeah. And it's he doesn't come across as an evil, vindictive person. He just comes across as someone who's being nuisanced. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, she was a bitch, she had to die. It's just like, oh, I just wanted it to go away. Yeah. It's like, and is she dead? I don't think so. I think she just ran away. And as the course of it goes, you can see that him and Jarecki are actually building a bit of a rapport. And as the later episodes go, Jarecki says that he actually feels, you know, quite comfortable around Robert Durst despite the fact that there's all these rumours going around that he's killed probably three people, at least. Mm. But Jarecki's like, oh, yeah, I feel really good around him. And going back to the unintentional comedy of it as well, he's talking about how he, when he was on the run, and he shaved his head and shaved his eyebrows. So you shaved your head off, yeah, yeah. Why? And it's like, oh, I wanted to look different, you know? It's like, and and you shave your eyebrows off too. And yeah, did you intentionally shave your eyebrows? And Robert Durst is kind of like, well, I I don't know how you could unintentionally shave (laughs) your eyebrows. Who accidentally shaves off their eyebrows. Exactly. But no, him and so him and Jarecki have got this bit of a rapport going. It, the more evidence sort of comes to light that when Susan Berman was killed in Los Angeles, someone tipped off the Beverly Hills police by leaving a letter saying, yes. "This is her address. There's a cadaver in the in the house," sort of thing. And Beverly was spelt wrong on the envelope. They put an extra e in Beverly for Beverly Hills. And 
at the time when they mentioned this in the episode, we we're like, you know, whatever. Someone doesn't know how to spell very well. Mm. And then, as it turns out, later on, well, they, uh, yeah, go on. They, they're speaking to the the son of Susan Boy- Berman's f- former boyfriend, and he's going through some of the stuff that they have in storage. And he happens to find a, a letter that Bob Durst has actually sent her a while ago, a month or something before the murder. Oh, I think it was a long time before the murder. But um, so he's got this letter that's addressed to her from Bob Durst on his letterhead. Same handwriting, same misspelling of Beverly. Yeah. And that's the big revelation at the end of episode five. And then we come to the start of episode six and it's Rob Durst rings Jarecki back and goes, look, I've talked to you for a little while, but I think I've got a little bit more to say. Do you want to do another interview? And Jarecki's already looking at this evidence thinking, well, yeah, we definitely want to do a second interview. But, How do I we mean, handle it? Sort of. Going a few episodes earlier. Sorry, we're yeah, jumping we, we are jumping he, he was sitting there doing an interview with Jarecki and they were asking about the court case and they were saying, did you, is that what happened? Did you lie? kind of thing and he goes look my lawyers said there's tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth yep. and they said tell the truth and nothing but the truth but that whole truth bit yeah that's a bit lenient so and the guy said did you lie and he goes no I didn't lie and it was sort of insinuating that I just didn't tell them everything you know not the whole truth yeah and they're going and he goes oh no, no, I'm not sure how I phrase it and then Tarek goes do you want to think about it for a while we can all have a break and we'll come back if you want to think about it yeah. and he goes yeah that'll be good so it's sort of the stuff you wouldn't normally see in a doco it's sort of like that bad to conversation in between. Yeah. So they all go off, people walk away. His mic's still live. Yeah. And he's sitting there talking, going, I did not purposely say... And he was just going through how to word, saying that same sort of thing. I yeah. did not lie, but I did not tell the whole truth kind yeah. of thing. And then his lawyer comes into the scene saying, they heard everything. Yeah. Your mic is live. Stop. Yeah, don't say any more. So he didn't really incriminate himself, but it showed that he's... He knows more than what he's letting on. And he didn't know he was mic'd. Or he yeah. doesn't understand how technology works. Yeah. I don't know. So that's happened once before. Yeah. So that's all well and good. So we've got this smoking gun. Jarecki's there going, this guy I trusted and was sort of starting to believe, I don't know if I can anymore. Because the guy who found the letter, Berman's or sort of son-in-law, I guess, yeah. he was a friend of Rob. Again, Rob would never do that to my mum. He's a friend of the family. He was yeah. actually a supporter of Rob. But when he found this, he goes, I don't know what I've just found. I think you need to see this. And they're going, yeah, that that doesn't look good for Rob. No. And they couldn't find, they couldn't place Rob in LA at the time when this murder happened. But now it's all looking very much like this is what's going to happen. And they tied it back to saying the investigation into his wife's murder yeah. was going. She was going to be approached. Because the, the um, DA in New York was getting very strong on this. She was almost like a boogeyman to Durst. Yep. She was hounding him and hunting him for 20 years almost. Yeah, and I think it sort of came out that Susan Berman knew a little bit about what had happened to yes. his disappearing wife. And she was going to be approached. Yeah. So it was and, sort of like, yeah. And I think Rob was kind of worried. You know, do I go and take her out before she has She's a chance to tell saying, anybody? What they could find is that the police suspected him, obviously. Chase it up, could never put him there. He was in California. He wasn't in L.A. And it turned out he was in a place far north of San Francisco, which is a good 800 k's north of L.A. or something. Yep. So it's a, it's a long way away. So they could never associate him in L.A. So they couldn't put him there. But timeline-wise, they got flights, they investigated, and it's like, well, it's possible. He could fly into San Francisco, he could drive down and 
get back in time. Yeah, exactly. To what well, they know his whereabouts of certain times, and it's possible. And he's like, you can't prove it, kind of thing. So as it turns out, they they get this letter that he's written, and they match the handwriting through like an FBI handwriting analysis, and they go through all this like technical jargon of points on the letters, and that, and they it's hard to see the difference between the two writings. And when, an expert sort of pretty much saying you, you can't say one hundred percent, but his gut or his professional opinion is yeah it's the same person yeah so Jarecki had already showed him the letter that the, the police department letter, yeah. had, had received and Bob was like oh yeah obviously someone's tipped off that the body you know mobs do this all the time it's a mob hit and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff she, you know, she's got mob connections but then they come back to him in the second interview with the letter that he sent them and basically just confronts him and says is this the letter that you wrote and don't you think it's a bit weird that it's the same misspelling as the one that got sent to the police and Bob Durst has this weird sort of gut reaction where he starts burping and almost vomiting <laughs> it's kind of like well I've been found out what am I going to do and again it's that unintentional comedy that it's you know this guy that's been totally cool calm and collected through you know got away with murder got away with murder and just done what four years in prison for the dismemberment but again served but minimal time i mean there's even drama getting to this part of the interview because they've done their bit they've got this far and i really don't know what the story was going to be where it was going to play but it played out okay obviously in the end of this thing but they had this smoking gun of the letter and then they were trying to get rob in to confront him on it's like we've got this how do we do it and rob was starting to be cagey like oh i've done enough i've I've done your talk and it's like oh we've just got a few more things we want to pick up and we're nearly done and you go yeah yeah um i'm gonna spain next week i'll come back and he just kept putting it off and they're sitting there with this evidence and they yep. really want to do something with it and he's not interested now enough that he was a bit switched on that they might be getting too close or something or he's done with it I mean this has taken a good two it's, years to film this I think over time I think it was six months after they found the letter before they actually got him back in again for so the, that's probably he, why he's like yeah. what do you need me for so he's a bit cagey on it and they find out he's lying because he's saying I'm in Barcelona I'm going I'm to go to Barcelona or Madrid or something and then they get a phone call from they've been talking to the Sarah Burns son-in-law yeah and he's saying oh he's here in LA at the moment he told he told me that he told you he's in Barcelona but you know yeah, he's, he's here. here in California so so we ended up being very cagey and was not wanting to come back in but what he did do was he wanted footage in front of his brother's buildings so they're following around New York and they're getting all this b-roll basically of him in front of his brother's buildings and being ushered away you can't have a film crew here and all this sort of stuff because he's estranged from his brother there's no VO he's not allowed to go near him you end up getting arrested for being on the doorstep of his brother's building yeah because so he broke his order and he his lawyers needed the footage they took of him out the front sort of to show why he was there I think it was going to help him with his case as to why he breached the order or at least he wasn't doing anything malicious and blah 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 although he did have like two guns in his pocket or something like that. Well, it's American yeah so it was quite funny that he, he he lucked into that situation where they could get him in for these extra pickups it's like yeah we'll give you the footage you know come on in and we'll do the questions so that's how they got him in for this time to do these final questions and he goes just a few things we want your reactions to some photos now just confirmation this photo who oh that's me and Sarah okay and that's this yeah that's the cadaver letter yep and what's this letter oh that's my letterhead yeah I wrote that he goes did you write that and he goes well they look the same and then, yeah they show him like a zoomed in on the two different Beverly's Beverly, on the just the word Beverly. He's like, so which one did you write and he's like I <laughs> can't tell <laughs> I can't tell you which one I wrote which one I didn't write but you know and then he's like oh 
they're written in block letters and everyone's block letters looks exactly the same so it could be anyone that's written this letter but you can clearly tell that he is starting to yeah he's got a cool demeanor which is scary but this time you're sort of seeing it break a little and admittedly at this time reading a bit more of the wiki he's 71 years old by this point and, and he's, he's had got, a couple of like serious health so, concerns yeah. so he's looking more guilty maybe just because he's older and more frail but yeah he's, he's not as composed or with it but admittedly the doco has changed tone at this point because he has gone from the, the question mark up until this point to no he did it exactly so they're, they're painting him in a different light yeah it's now pretty much He's guilty. How is he going to react to the fact that he's been We've found got out? him with our smoking gun. And to his credit, he was pretty... Except for his unintentional burping, he, he sort of... He didn't like, oh, you got me. I would have got away with the tour for some of those kids. damn kids, yeah. yeah. He didn't do any of that. He sort of kept himself pretty good. But as would happen before, they finished it off. They didn't, you know, Tarecki didn't stand up and say, I accuse you. He sort of played it cool. It's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Thanks. We've got everything we need. That's cool. All right, we'll do this. And he goes, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. And he went to the bathroom. Live mic'd. Again, and he's yeah, he's in the toilet and he's said, yeah. He's talking to himself. We, you, we've got the you've got the audio. We don't have the footage. Yeah. Um, so he's there. He could be talking to his penis for all we know. But he's it there could saying be on the phone. It's so, like a one sided conversation. Yeah. He could have phoned his lawyer. I don't know. We we don't know. But he's there saying, "I did it. What have I done? No. What did I do? No. Uh, he basically said, "How do they not know that I've done it or something?" Didn't well, he? One thing he does say is, "What did I do?" Because yeah. that was the name of the episode. Oh, okay. And then he goes, "I killed them all, of course." Yeah. And it's like. Like, you know you're mic You've been caught out once before. Do you know what you're doing? So we're assuming that's a confession. Yeah. He's been I, done. And that, that didn't make it on the news. So if you haven't heard of this story, but you have heard of something similar, that's the bit that was the big, oh my God, moment that made it on the news services at the time, which is about three weeks ago from time of recording. Yeah. So the way that episode finishes, it's basically fades to credits after he's in the bathroom confessing. So I did a bit of investigation. And strangely, they'd obviously filmed this a little while ago yes he didn't get arrested till like the, the day, day after before day after it aired yeah. And it's kind of like now, did Jarecki sort of cause a bit of a miscarriage of justice by not... By holding like, out information Yeah, withholding to the information to the he police. He gave it to the police, but it's like, is it perfect timing that he got arrested the day before the finale of this big series that captured, you know, everyone's attention at the time? Police could have been sitting on it that long. How long? You know? Yeah. But when he was arrested, he was actually in New Orleans, and they were about to open the Cuba flights. Yeah, so flights he was... to Cuba. He so was he pretty was, much on his way to fleeing the country. And he was full of money, guns, false IDs, a whole bunch of things. So I'm not quite sure of the timeline as to when this letter was put to him to say this is... So that means five episodes of the doco have, have been on. Yeah. And he's arrested the day before the finale. So the smoking gun with the letter is aired and he's still in the country. He would have seen it. And this, maybe, this maybe is where it's confusing. He probably didn't have HBO. That's why he didn't Maybe. But yeah, so it's kind of confusing as to how it all played out it's all very amazing it's all very convenient so it's it's an interesting thing and i mean so the He's basically the case. It is the mur- he's been arrested for the murder of Susan. Yeah, in LA by the LA police. So obviously the Morris murder. He's done his time for that. They can't prove anything about his the, his missing wife, but he is going to go to trial for the murder of Susan Berman. So he still could get out of this. He could. <laughs> I mean, it's it, they've got to have enough on him. But I mean, it's pretty strong, and it's such a public case now. It'll be interesting. And has he got as much money as he used to have? And well, 
well, public sway on this is going to be so huge. But th- that kind of, again, the American legal system confounds me as how different it is to the Australian legal system. Is Are they going to be able to find impartial jury now that this is out there? Everyone's, everyone's watched this series. And yeah. they even actually interview some of the jurors from the Galveston trial. Friend. Yeah, and, and some of them are like, you know, he was... Well, it was the 12 jurors, and I think no more than three thought he did it. Yeah. Like, when it came to, like, their discussions. Exactly. So, I mean, that's what good lawyers do for you. I think so. And the way the lawyers sort of turned that case around, like, he came into the court and I think the judge laughed at him for something. He cracked something. a joke. Yeah. And the lawyer and the, the jurors laughed at it and said, yeah. oh, we've and, got him. He's, and he's he, won the murder. Yeah, he became a person rather than just a, yeah. you know, a defendant sort of thing. But yeah, it was it was interesting. Like, when we first watched it, when we first watched that first episode, I was kind of like... Yeah, I'd heard a little bit about the buzz. I hadn't heard much about it, and I didn't really know who it was. I knew was. nothing about it. I heard a few podcasts discussing it, and I thought, hang on, I want it. This sounds interesting. I'm going to not hear any more and hunt it down. So it had all aired by this point, so I went and downloaded every episode that night. <laughs> Literally, it was the night we came over last week to hang out with you, and I said, it's about a serial killer and his trial. I was like, that's all I do, and I was totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we watched the first episode, and I'm intrigued. And, then yeah, we, watched it, and we watched four yeah. in a row, and it got to about midnight it's like i can't do any more but exactly let's um we'll watch the rest by the end of the rest of the weekend so and it's strange because my wife sort of walked in the room when we were watching it and, and we're like she's like what are you watching and we're like oh we're watching this this doco about robert durst and she was like oh i see that guy that killed his wife <laughs> and we're like how do you know this and she's like oh it's been all over the news and it's like obviously we're not really saying stuff like don't say anymore yeah we're only doing spoilers but yeah but obviously it, it was a high profile case and yeah really interesting now to see how this comes about based on the fact that this is out there it's it's interesting and as an execution of documentary filmmaking now the more reading I did on this, it came out that I was watching it and they're doing a bit of, there's in this story, they do a few recreations and the way they talk to camera and this. And it's like, oh, it's very Errol Morris in it's looking. And I sound like a wanker by saying that, but I was educated in my other podcast, Shooting the Pooh. We did Errol Morris docos and we've done a few docos we've looked at. And part of the discussion on those is what's the truth? What's the story? What do you leave out? What do you put in? It's yep. all about, and this is doing the Pulp Fiction thing, is that top the story up, tell it out of time that makes it more interesting. Yeah. You're only releasing certain bits of information at the time. I say, oh, well, I mean, I'm saying it's it's not bad, this jinx. It's it, it's okay, but it's no Capturing the Freedmans. And then I read the doco, and Jarecki actually directed this movie, Capturing the Freedmans. Now, a quick provo- thing on that story is, this guy went off to make a documentary about children's party clowns in New York, and interviewing one of the most popular and the best party clowns in New York, he finds out in his history that he's got this sort of, not this sort of past, but his dad and his brother were arrested for molesting young children. He was a teacher at the school. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, this is um, full on. Yeah. And he, he, he investigated that. So from doing a 15-minute documentary about clowns, he went and found this other story. And I think it won the Academy Award. If it didn't, it should have. It's an amazing doco called Capturing the Freedmans about this town and the, about this family. And the thing is, with this family, they were quite well-to-do. And they had video cameras. And there was one of the sons videotaped everything as far as just family life and situations. Yeah. So... They're there talking and you've got all this home footage of them just being a fun family. And then he's also taking footage of them during the court case. So they're just at home in the middle of the court case 
talking back and forth. And it is an amazing viewing. It's, if you weren't going to watch one or the other, Capture the Freeman's a much better view than the Jinx. I'll, I'll say that. Jinx is good. Very good. Capture the Freeman's is amazing. But he just seems to luck into these things. Yeah. And it's sort of like, that's amazing that he's done this twice now. And then I found out he's also the producer of Catfish. Now, Catfish is a load of crap. What? <laughs> and that's where it's sort of like, hang on, maybe he's just a big fucking liar. I, I don't know the, anymore. The skeptic in me, I, I watched Catfish and as it went along, I, I sat there and went, this can't be true. This has got to be a work. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't know. And then they do that one big interview where he explains, you know, why they put catfish in with live trouts or whatever it is. And it's mm. kind of like, yeah, you know, I was losing it, losing it, losing it. Then he does this interview, and I'm like, wow, I'm totally back in this. Yeah. This guy's sort of, yeah, you know, I think this guy's great from from then on. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know. But yeah, so I I don't know. He's either lucky, and he seems to stumble across these things and gets paid it at the end, or is he manipulative? I I really don't know. I, I really think that he was just completely in the right place at the right time here. That he'd made that feature film kind mm. of loosely based on on the story of the disappearance, which by all accounts was quite big news at the time. Yeah, and yeah, Robert Durst had seen this movie and sort of went, "Well, I think I need to tell the truth." Or my well, side, I mean, of the and that's the thing. I mean, he is. I don't know if he's very sick or he's dying, but he's not well. But I mean, he, these started doing this what two years ago so it's sort of like did did he want to confess but he couldn't well, is that, this what he's trying to do is that, that why that's he wanted the to thing bring i'm out? trying to think of is it's like is he trying to confess that he's done it or is he kind of so self-centered and and thinks you know i got away I, i'm it. so good i got away with it now i'm gonna come and tell you how good i am i didn't know jay bring out a book if i did it this is how i'd do it yeah pretty much a confession by saying i didn't but this is how i would have yeah. <laughs> secretly I, this is what i did i don't know it, but yeah i i, I would recommend it it's an amazing piece of culture at the, at the moment. Will it be forgotten in 10 years' time? Probably. Who knows? But it, at the moment, it is a zeitgeist thing and it's damn interesting and captivating. Yeah. So, yes. I, I'm glad we watched it and I'm glad that I didn't know anything. pretty much anything when I started. I, I did do a little bit of wiki reading leading into the end of it and then I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to stop reading now because I want to see how no, this you turns You keep doing out. that. We're watching it and you go, I just read the wiki. It's like, don't! I didn't read all of the wiki. I just like <laughs> scanned a bit of the wiki at that stage. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad we watched it and yeah, and I think if you haven't watched it and you've got this far... Yes, you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, we have rambled quite a bit. This is going to be quite a long episode yes. compared to normal, but, yeah, if you've yeah. got this far, good on you. It captured our attention. I'll say yes. All righty. Well, thank you for getting this far. Thank you for listening. If you have any feedback for us, if you want to drop us an email and tell us that we shouldn't have given away the ending quite so much, we are themapodcast at gmail.com you can find us on our website as themapodcast.podbean.com or we are on Facebook which is facebook.com slash the massive attack podcast and until next month thank you very much Mitch and we'll see you then and don't kill anyone exactly or if you are going to kill anyone don't unintentionally shave your eyebrows
Galveston. 